0: 2023 marks the 20th anniversary of the first cohort of General Sir John Monash Foundation scholarships being awarded. For two decades, the foundation has sponsored literally hundreds of Australians to study at universities overseas. The John Monash Scholarship is gifted in the spirit of General Sir John Monash a remarkable Australian who believed that education is not given for individual benefit, but for the higher duties of citizens who seek to advance society. Of course, none of this could happen without the generous and outstanding support from major sponsors and benefactors. One of the people who has been actively involved from the very beginning is Dr. Yolanda Klemfner AO. She's long had a passion for education since her days studying law under the guidance of the esteemed Sir Zelman Cohen at the University of Melbourne to becoming president of RMIT Council. Her love for higher learning and fostering it in others has been well established throughout the tertiary education sector in Australia. And I'm very pleased to say that Yolanda is our special guest on the Scholars Podcast today. Yolanda, welcome to the program. It's an honor to be talking to you today.
1: Justin, thank you very much for inviting me. I feel quite flattered and uh, I'm excited at the prospect of perhaps influencing other people to get involved with the foundation.
0: Well, let's, let's start, Yolanda, if we can, with your understanding of the mission of the General Sir John Monash Foundation.
1: Well, perhaps if I could start off by telling you that uh, repeating pretty well what you have said, I have had a lifelong interest in the power of education and I could see right from the beginning from being invited to be part of it about the ex- exciting potential for influencing for positive economic, social and cultural outcomes for the country through the uh, development of further education for young graduates. I was really chuffed that it was an Australian scholarship as opposed to the Oxford, the, the Rhodes Scholarship or the Fulbright.
0: And so what, Yolanda, inspired you to be involved with the foundation and the scholarship?
1: Really it's potential as as a game changer in the area of economic, social and cultural activities of the country because what we were gathering were the best and the brightest and giving them the opportunity of further developing their skills through their education at any of the best universities in the world and this is where this particular scholarship scheme is so different from others. You know, if you get a Rhodes, you can only go to Oxford. If you get a Fulbright, you can only go to America. If you get a John Monash, you can go anywhere anywhere. in the world.
0: I agree. I'm keen to know more about your uh, professional background, Yolanda. Can you give our listeners an idea of um, your life and your professional achievements
1: Well, um, I graduated from Melbourne University, as you mentioned, uh, with a law degree. I did my articles in one of the Melbourne city firms and for a short period I did work at that firm until um, I had my first child. Um, I subsequently had two more children and I started my own practice, which I initially ran from home. In the fullness of time, I got to the stage where I either had to take in a partner but certainly move out of the home office environment and a dear friend of mine, also a lawyer, had lunch with me one day and she pulled out an advertisement from the press which required an an applicant to apply for the position of advisor of women's affairs to the Victorian government. Now she was married to a man considerably older than me and I was brought up strictly and I was brought up to respect the views of elders, of elder people. So I took that on board and I applied and I got the position. So for five years, I was the advisor on women's affairs to two Victorian premiers. Uh, subsequently, I became a member of the Equal Opportunity Board, where I served for a period and uh Goodness, I'm so old now that I forget (laughs) half my life.
0: (laughs) And I, I, I do notice you have some letters after your name, Yolanda, an Order of Australia. What tell tell us about um, when you were awarded that, and specifically what for?
1: Well, the first thing that I really need to correct is that my um, doctorate is not one earned through a PhD. It's an honorary doctorate awarded to me for. By RMIT mm-hmm. now there again I was uh, invited to come onto the board although the council actually not the board of RMIT and uh, which I accepted and became very involved in the lives of the students and the university and in the fullness of time while well, the RMIT was originally a working men's college uh, it it became. A university, and I became a president for a number of years and for a very short period when it did uh, become a university, a chancellor.
0: I noticed before you said you started your practice working from home. You were one of the real early adopters because everyone, everyone seems to be working from home at the moment.
1: That's right. <laughs> I was ahead of my time, you see.
0: You had the vision. Yes. Now, As an early supporter, you've been a board member and you've been integral to the design of the selection process of the General Sir John Monash Foundation. So perhaps you could tell us about the early days of the foundation and how that has evolved over, um, say, the past 20 years.
1: Right, certainly. Uh, The one thing which I omitted to tell you is that uh, the person who really definitely influenced me to come onto the board of the foundation was a man called uh, Michael Robertson who was a university student friend of mine and I think the first president uh, the first chairman of the of the foundation a very socially motivated very fine person uh, who regrettably is no longer with us but uh, he took one of my arms behind my back twisted it a little bit harder and he said you will come on board which I did. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, my task was to help him to uh, set up the foundation right from scratch. And so I uh, uh, approached a number of people that I knew who were both academics and prominent in the community. And I said, well, let's sit down and talk about it. And uh, what we devised was a system where each of the states and the territories was to be Um, uh, Asked to nominate a set number of applicants for the national award, Um, the number was set according to the student population in that state or territory. Uh So, for instance, in New South Wales, could nominate to the national committee um, more than uh, the northern than Canberra than ACT. Of course, of course. Um, And in each state, we found people who were willing and enthusiastic to actually act as the original interviewers of the applicants and then it was their task to um, take a good look at the cohort in their state to nominate them to the national committee and the national committee then uh, flew the young people from all over australia to melbourne we interviewed them and we made a selection of eight from the whole of australia it was actually a very very difficult task.
0: I bet it was choosing eight. Yes.
1: Uh, at the time, the grants were for three years, and uh, it was fifty thousand dollars per year for each of the three years. Um, it is currently seventy five thousand dollars. And uh, what else can I tell you? We over the last twenty years we have had two hundred and forty eight scholars of whom 121 have returned back to Australia, and the vast majority are occupying significant positions in the public sector, the private sector.
0: So nearly 250 scholars, no no doubt you will remember some of them probably more. Uh, strongly than others, are there are there any scholars, maybe some of the early ones that you've you formed friendships with, or you've followed their careers very closely because of your uh, association with them?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I, uh, I was going to mention four who made a particular impression on me, although every one of them are regarded as another one of my children and I followed their progress in the early stages, of course, now twenty years on. Uh, I don't do that anymore, except mm. if I have the privilege of meeting them at one of our functions. Now, the uh, the four which I have chosen, um, in fact, five, one of them is Brigadier uh, Noble, who applied to uh-huh. us. He was in a, a regular army, Australian army. He was very keen to study in Washington. He thought that it would... Um, Further his career, but more than that, he thought that it would be very beneficial to Australia. And while he came down, it came to us as an applicant. Um, I think he was probably aged in his mid thirties, uh, and he didn't hold a particularly high rank, and the army would not send him anywhere, but we did. And he became a brigadier, and he became the uh, a leader in uh, all of our conflicts in recent years and um, I think that he may even have been in charge of the American unit in the Pacific at one stage. He, incredible. It is quite, quite incredible. Um, another one who uh, I have contact with is a man called Mark Dawson, Dr Mark Dawson. Yes. A real doctor, a genuine doctor, who is the most <laughs> fabulous person, and he leads a research team at the Peter McCallum. Hospital, cancer hospital in Melbourne and he has many many credits to his name as well as being a most charming and devoted person so he's another one I think I should mention a couple of women now uh, because one of the things that I'm rather proud of is that pretty well right through we have almost equivalent numbers of men and women as the awardees And it's just, that's the way that the cards have always fallen. It wasn't that we went out of our way to say we will only have 50% of of each sex.
0: Yes, I understand.
1: Gender rather, sorry. Um, Now, so I'm I'm going to mention to you an extraordinary young woman called Danielle Malik.
0: Yes, I've spoken with her before. Incredible. Is she not incredible? Amazing. Amazing.
1: Well, as you, you can't believe
0: know, what she's done.
1: Yeah. Well, she's working for the World Bank. She's been very, she's a lawyer. Uh, she has been involved with the Indigenous community, I think, in land rights and other issues. And she's also very active in the protection of women and children from violence of any kind.
0: And I think from memory, a mother of five.
1: Indeed. Two sets of twins and a single birth. Yes,
0: that's right. And runs the tuck shop.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes I don't know when she sleeps.
0: <laughs> yes, Danielle, who else is on your list?
1: Uh, the other one on my list is uh, Lara Olson. I have not mentioned her, have I? No. No, she's one of our early awardees and she now heads, she's a director of uh, Southeast Water, I think.
0: It's Incredible.
1: And she's done some amazing things. And finally, um, you know, the list could go on and on, but these were some of my people who I have kept a pretty close eye on. Yes. And they have rewarded me with great achievements. Now, Mark Shimbry started life as a vet He
0: was... I know um, Mark very well.
1: Oh, well, there you are. I don't have to tell you another thing about Well,
0: you should should tell the listeners about Mark in the event that they don't know uh, this amazing Australian.
1: Well, Mark started life as a vet and he was very influential in dealing with the horse flu which struck animals in Queensland, I think it was. Um, In subsequent years, he... Uh, graduated in medicine and his, uh, he was very... Human
0: medicine, I should put Human out. medicine, I'm human sorry. Human medicine,
1: yes. Uh, I believe that he was very influential in helping governments with the COVID outbreak through his knowledge of uh, infectious diseases.
0: So you've been a panellist uh, for many, many years So when you sat on as a judge to assess the applicants, what did you consider when you were selecting the scholarship recipients and what qualities did you look for um, in the applicants?
1: Well, I must tell you, first of all, that it's a very difficult and demanding task because by the time the applicants made it to the national panel, They had been carefully selected by the state panels and they were fabulous young people. Um, So it's a difficult task, but what we essentially looked at was first of all, the highest academic levels which they had achieved. Generally speaking, there would have been first-class honours degrees because by and large, they were all graduates already. We looked at their leadership potential and their altruism, their involvement in the community, Um, their potential to make an impact is something else which we considered. And overall, the breadth of their range of interests, which in many instances was incredible. It wasn't just the specifics of their um, academic learning. It was often uh, music or sport, which they excelled at. Mm. And it marveled at their capacity to do all of these things in the 24 hours which each one of us has during the day.
0: <laughs> I know when I talk to them, I'm always <laughs> feeling a little bit overwhelmed at how little I do compared to what the, what the scholars are doing. Um, and I, I, we should point out it's not just um, – people might think it's just lawyers and doctors and engineers. It's, it's not just those careers, is it? It's no. vastly different.
1: That's right. We have had uh, a young man whose name escapes me, but I think that he's a Sydney sider who came in, who presented himself as wanting to be a public intellectual. <laughs> I had not heard the expression at the time, but I believe that this is exactly what he has become.
0: Wow! I'd like to know what that is.
1: Well, I'll have to find his name <laughs> <Yeah>. for you. <me. laughs>
0: but you know, I've I've spoken with artists, musicians. Uh, there are nuclear physicists and people in green technology. I mean, it's, um, it's really any form of uh, academia, humanities, the arts that uh, the foundation supports. So if you were, if you were to reflect uh, on the General Sir John Monash Foundation and its scholars, how do you feel that they contribute to building a stronger future for Australia?
1: Well, as I mentioned to you that to date, and many more will come back, I'm sure, we have welcomed back to Australia 121 of the 248 uh, who received grants. And I believe that they bring back with them expertise and a broader view of the world. Uh, They have demonstrated capacity for achieving goals. You know, it's not easy for young people to go overseas and to... um, study and to meet all the challenges which go with it Um, Mm. and what I see them doing is putting to work what they have learnt for the benefit of all of us. They enrich this country.
0: If I'm thinking of applying, if I'm a student or I'm in business or I have my career but I've heard about the scholarship, I'm thinking about applying, what what are some of the factors, what are some of the things that I should be considering before I put in my application form?
1: Well, first of all, you would have to demonstrate that you are an excellent scholar and that the time that you will spend at whatever uh, institution you intend to go to will be put to good use. Yes. Uh, so that's the first thing you have to demonstrate to us that you have a vision of what it is that you want to do when you have achieved all of these academic goals, and what you see as the benefit to Australia, to this country, from what you have learned while you were overseas.
0: Now let's let's talk about how the fa- foundation stays in business. Obviously, individuals and organisations support the foundation's mission and contribute to its success. So what is it that um, you need uh, from from businesses, from from individuals to, to keep the foundation alive? How can they help?
1: Well, like all large or voluntary organisations, we require continued funding and we would very much like to expand the number of awards which we give to uh, to beyond what we do at present. This year, there will be 15 awards made, but with more money, with uh, more donations and funding, we'd be able to increase that. Um, uh, What I would also expect uh, organisations, be it government or private, to to help us with uh, introducing our scholars to um, sources of potential work, potential engagement, in other words, to open doors for them and to give them contacts.
0: Yolanda, what advice, let's think about this, what advice would, could you give to young Australians who aspire to make a positive impact in their respective fields?
1: Well, I know that's very difficult Cor, but I would ask them to have a clear vision of their desired outcome. You know, to be single-minded, to be dedicated and to work jolly hard. Mm. Because no matter how bright you are, unless you put in the hours and the dedication, you won't get very far.
0: And if you were to look back reflecting on your time with the foundation, what are you most proud of in relation to the foundation's accomplishments?
1: I guess that I, I'm pretty proud of the initial Set up that I have described earlier on, but I'm most proud about the achievements of our scholars. I think the few that I mentioned earlier really are just an indication. It's the tip of the iceberg.
0: You mentioned before the Rhodes and the Fulbright. I know there are a few others out there. How do you think the Monash scholarship stacks up against uh, against those names, your your competitors?
1: Better, much better.
0: <laughs> and why, tell me, why, why is that in well, your view? Well,
1: first of all, our scholars can go anywhere in the world. And I think that's very important because, well, uh, universities are wonderful places. Some universities specialise in particular things which um, a, a particular candidate or awardee has um, selected because of the information which the education which they can get there. Which is very specific to their aims, and I think that's pretty well unique. Uh, What else can I? So I think that that's very very important. I think that the amount of the stipend is not over generous, but if they're prepared to uh, live on baked beans and maybe a glass of milk, (laughs) they should be able to just about survive. I would like to think that uh, with inflation galloping, we can keep up with uh, the grants which we make. But it's very difficult. I've got one other thing which is exciting and different for our organisation. It is that um, applicants can... There's no age limit. And I did mention earlier on that uh, Brigadier Noble was, I think, in his mid-30s, whereas many of the others are 21, maybe 22 But there's no age limit or no prescribed age.
0: No. Yes. Okay. Okay. And if you were to use a few words to sum up the foundation, to describe the foundation in everything it stands for, what would those words be?
1: It's like a big family. We have lots and lots of volunteers who give of their time very generously In the selection of the candidates in their own states i think that um, i would like to see the foundation expand further uh, and i would like to uh, we do try to highlight the achievements of the scholars but uh, i don't know that the general public is fully aware of it
0: very well said dr yolanda klempfner ao thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate your generosity, your candour and your great insights today. All the very best and thank you for coming on to the Scholars Podcast.
1: Thank you very much.